Haini P, Haini P, Haini P. Wajaniwina, Jankishina, Hinikarigiwina. Greetings from the land of 11 nations, or as everyone else calls it, Wisconsin. I'd like to take uh, this second here to thank all three of my listeners for deciding to spend a couple of minutes with me as I venture into the dark recesses of the winter interweb. I do it through this vehicle I call Chipotake. If you have any thoughts, concerns, comments, or just feel like cuffing me about, uh, feel free to leave a comment at moneykakseek at gmail.com. That's M-A-N-I-K-A-K-S-I-K at gmail.com. Uh, well, I have a couple of things for everyone today. Uh, I have an interview with the executive manager of Ho-Chung Gaming Madison, uh, Mr. Dan Brown. Uh, I discuss the possible creation of a civics class for our youth. And I begin interviewing legislative candidates. We begin our journey today with uh, Isaiah's Moses Funmaker. So uh, thanks for joining me, and uh, well, let's get on with it. Good morning, everybody. I'm here with Dan Brown, uh, executive manager of Ho-Chunk Gaming Madison. And um, I just want to touch on it. Well, say hello to everybody. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Great. Um, I just wanted to talk to you about um, the COVID and how it impacted our uh, casino up there. And, um, well, I don't want to beat around the bush, so I'm just going to let you have it. Um, tell us about um, everything about uh, COVID before, during, and after, if you got the time. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So, oh, wow. You know, it's something that, you know, everybody in the entire world was, you know, ill prepared for, of course. And nobody really knew, you know, what the, you know, the, the severity of this situation was. And we were keeping an eye on things, you know, particularly with, uh, you know, we closed the doors on March 17th. And prior to that, you know, we were watching, you know, in Dane County and around the state, you know, what was happening. And, and really, for me, the barometer was the schools. And once the schools were closed down, you know, for us, you know, we, we got together, we assembled our team, and we were just, you know, we decided, you know what, we just made the unilateral decision on the spot, you know, just to close the doors. So that's how that went down. You know, prior to that, it's, it's really unfortunate for, you know, the Ho-Chunk Nation in that um, prior to that, we were setting records in top-line and bottom-line revenue. Um, just just month over month, it just continued, you know, our, our success just, uh, it was something we were enjoying tremendously. Um and you know this hit, um, and, and it just you know had such an incredible impact on us. So, um, yeah, I mean that's that's you know in a nutshell that's that's what transpired you know for us. What was the um, impact on your employees? I mean, you guys, you guys were doing pretty good, and then all of a sudden now you got to shut down and everybody gets launched. Yeah, it was pretty tough. I mean, that was that was probably one of the more difficult decisions that we had to make in terms of deciding you know, who was to be laid off and, um, you know, who was going to be able to stay. And the hope, of course, was that, um, that the layoff would have been fairly short. Um, and, and in some instances, it, it was fairly short because we had to recall some folks back in order to start the plan for reopen. But, um, you know, we were operating on average around 300 employees. Right now, we're, you know, we're sitting at a probably around 230. Um, so those that we haven't even called back yet, you know, our food and beverage outlets, you know, we haven't bothered to open that up yet citing a lot of you know safety issues and safety um potential problems and um our valet you know it's one of those services that we just have to forego at this time because you know it's just you know, in addition to the fact that 
um, you know, the safety and those types of things, but it's expenses and we have to keep our expenses down as much as we can. And we have to weigh the, you know, the benefit of bringing the folks back with, you know, the expenses that are incurred as a result of that. Because when we closed and at, while we were closed, I had a lot of, a lot of discussions with the president, with president white Eagle. And, uh, you know, the whole goal in the reopen was that we really, really had to make certain that our margins were razor razor sharp, you know, and, and really had to control our expenses. Not that we didn't before. We always do. We operate in the 60 percentile range on a regular basis. So, well, wait a minute. Wait, what, what does that mean? So we, we, our profit margins are 60 percent. I think, you know, probably most of your listeners understand that any business, most businesses probably operate in the three to five percentile area, depending on the industry. So ours, what that means is that of all the, all the, you know, the revenue, top line revenue that we generate, we actually keep in the neighborhood of 60%. Um, we finished out fiscal year 20 um, at 67%, which is incredibly, uh, well, at the risk of sounding immodest, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's amazing. So we keep a, a vast majority of our, of our revenues that we, you know, that we generate. <clears throat> so so, uh, you know, when we reopen, that's something that we've been constantly mindful of. Not that we weren't before. We've always been. But we have to be, you know, doubly vigilant given the crisis that the nation finds itself in. Let me let me jump in here real quick. Um, you've been um, executive manager of a couple of casinos now. Do you think that helped you during this um, COVID? Yeah, you know, what? one of the things that I think it helps a lot is just having the experience. Um, you know, I, I've got, gosh. I must have about 12 years of experience as an executive manager for the Ho-Chunk Nation. And, and while I never experienced anything like this, while I managed the Dells property um, in the early 2000s, certainly um, the experience that I've gained since, um, in addition to the fact that I fancy myself a pretty good, having a pretty good eye for talent. And so um, I've assembled a, a very impressive team at Madison. And so, um, you know, we put our heads together when it comes to making decisions about you know, something like this, something that nobody's ever experienced, but we're able to talk our way through it and navigate in a, in a you know, in a really logical and thorough and deliberate manner. Did um, you get a lot of help from um, the administration? Did you guys, I mean, did you guys work hand in hand with this uh, reopening? Yeah, you know, with the presidential administration, um, you know, particularly um, the EAO, the executive administrative officer, Mike Salloway, and, and the president, Marlon White Eagle, you know, they were very, very helpful. Um, we did, as we got closer to the actual reopen of the facility, we were the first to reopen. Um, we did get help from, from our health department. Um, they came down and assisted us in, in assuring that the way we were, we, excuse me, the way we were reopening was going to be safe. That was the top priority. And so, to, you know, to your question, yes, we had, we did have assistance from, from the executive branch of the government. What about um, the state of uh, Wisconsin, Madison City? Did they um, jump in there also? You know, we really, we, the coordination when it came to, you know, the other governmental entities was primarily through our, you know, our tribal office building. At the casino level, we really didn't have much, you know, firsthand uh, uh, contact. I mean, uh, we did have our, um, we did have a security director who held weekly meetings with Homeland Security um, just to stay up to speed with what was going on nationally. Um, but on a lo more local level, particularly a state level, um, the tribe did a marvelous job of staying on top of that and then funneling information down the facilities, down to us. And so there was always coordination, always open communication as far as the, 
you know, the progress of this pandemic. Well, since the reopening, how have you guys been doing? Well, it's been, you know, it's, it's been impressive given the circumstances. I would say that, um, well, to start out with, when we opened, we we, opened, we have 1,200-plus machines. Close, well, actually, we have 1,300 machines now. We opened with only 400 machines. Um, and so, obviously, with that, uh, you know, the, the revenues were, were modest, you know, expectedly so. Um, and we have just incrementally been opening, and, or should I, say, I should say, making more machines available for play on an incremental basis. So, one of the main things we did was, was to put black excuse me, plexiglass between all machines. And, we, and, you know, when we reopened, we took care of all the, you know, the safety precautions that you could possibly, you know, put into play. You know, we had the, uh, we actually had plexiglass at our cage. Um, you know, we had it at our marketing, our guest service booth, security, mandatory mask wearing, temperature checks before anybody comes in the doors, um, six-foot distancing, of course, sanitizing, continuous announcements. So what we wanted to do is create an environment when, when that player comes in, they truly, truly feel safe. Are you, um, oh, sorry to jump in on you, I'm sorry. No, but um, no, no. are you limited as the amount of uh, people you're allowed into the casino? You know, we, we, we have the option of exercising our own sovereignty, of course. You know, we're, you know, we're on trust land, and, but we're respectful of you know, local mandates. Um, right now there's a, or I believe the latest is a 50% limit. And so we've essentially, you know, we can practice that while not, you know, having any kind of inhibitions on the business. In other words, we've got a, the fire code says, uh, uh, 2000 is our limit. Well, right now we have, so we're maintaining the 50% that's been recommended. So we're being respectful of it. Do we have to follow it? Not necessarily, but we still, we want to maintain, you know, positive optics and community. Plus we want to legitimately maintain a safe environment. So we're, we're, we're at right now a thousand person capacity again with about 1290 some machines available at this point. So we're, yeah, we, we try to stay within those parameters. So looking into the future, um, do you see, it opening up completely in a month or two in the summertime, or what are you looking at? Yeah, we're, we're, it, it, I, I have to go to monthly finance meetings with the legislature, and they ask all the facilities, you know, what what their plans are, and and I've repeatedly advised them that the plan is to get back to, you know, full board. Let's get back to business. So that's been our objective, you know, since that we've had the ability to reopen. Um, we're keeping a close eye on what's happening in the in the community in the health healthcare community, you know, we're keeping a close eye on what's happening with the, the number of cases are, you know, that we're seeing in the state of Wisconsin, they're starting to decline. Of course, we know, we all know that the vaccine's there. So our game plan right along has been, let's get going. You know, it, so long as we can maintain a safe workplace or, or a safe place to play and a safe workplace, then yeah, let's, let's move forward. Let's, let's get going here. Well, um, that's, um, I, I'm really kind of impressed with the way you guys have been working up there. I've been hearing good things about it. Um, I was Thank wondering, you. Um, do you guys have uh, plans uh, for the future? I mean, I don't mean just the COVID. I mean, overall, uh, do you have something going forward? Yeah, absolutely. You know, more, more in the more immediate, you know, future, um, what we'll do then, of course, is we'll start, you know, a, a far more aggressive uh, advertising campaign and promotions and offering promotions right now i gotta tell you it's, it's really a tough balance right now because what we're doing is we're, we're, we're advertising but we're not being super aggressive because we, we know that if we're super aggressive with our advertising and with promotions we're going to fill the joint up which is great but not great now because we have a thousand person capacity 
so that's actually the the advertising piece that since reopened has been sort of like this um it has had a couple of benefits you know one is that we've, we've reduced expenditures tremendously you know marketing's the second largest expenditure you know beside labor in the casino or at least our casino and we're able to reduce that significantly um while concurrently keeping our keeping our facility safe but at capacity you know in, in a more distant future yeah we've got we've got big plans you know, we've got we've been planning for about the last six years on a significant campus development expansion of the casino a hotel parking structure um eateries bars um you know the usual accoutrements that come along with a you know a, a, a an expansion but also develop it further because we have 40 acres around the facility and so we want to we want to provide for a history center something a centerpiece in the capital in the second largest market in the state in a place positioned beautifully in the midwest with two major thoroughfares running right right by us so we have yeah we have you know pretty ambitious plans going forward because and we've done two feasibility studies for the expansion we see that you know that they were talking about probably about 30 million additional uh million dollars per year um, that have been projected on two separate we'll do more feasibility studies as we go you know as we go forward but yeah we we have some definite plans and we've worked our tails off with local government uh you know local local business local nonprofits, local you know civics organizations you know i mean we yeah we we definitely have some plans we've been working on really hard for the past you know six years now Hey, well, that sounds pretty good. Um, maybe I can get you on again uh, sometime soon, and you can uh, kind of elaborate uh, with those with us. Oh, we'd love to. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, I want to thank you for your time. And uh, you got anything going on right now you want to push out there for us? You know, I think right now, just letting you know, folks know that, you know, our listeners, our tribal members, I want there to be a, a sense of security, a sense of, you know, comfort, knowing that, we, you know, our business is going great. This month alone, we're ahead of last year. Our, our December right now, and granted, we're you know we're only you know two thirds of the way through, or, or I mean three fourths of the way through the month, but we're we're ahead of last year's top line revenue numbers, and I'm sure we'll be ahead of our net revenue from last year. And that was remember last year was pre-pandemic, so we're seeing a pretty nice recovery, um, and, and we're just going to continue to you know continue to do everything we can and, and to maximize the revenues for the nation. It's what we do. All right. Well, uh, you keep everybody safe up there and stay safe yourself. And uh, we'll uh, get contact you and we'll try to do this again. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. Thank you very much. All right. I was talking to a few people this week and as usual, saying what a fine job our government bureaucracy was doing for our people. No, I wasn't. I was complaining per usual. Uh, one of the people I was talking to asked me point blank if I knew how anything involving the Ho-Chunk Nation government worked. I assured him I did. Well, this got me to thinking, well, there are a couple of things that I really don't understand about how the government works. Um, number one is our general counsel. I mean, I know it's about failure. I know about its failures and weaknesses. I know we meet once a year for a largely ceremonial, costly, and ineffective waste of time. I know that almost all of our resolutions with teeth get destroyed or are parked by our legislature deep in the bowels of the tribal office building. At the general councils I do attend, and resolutions are brought up, if they are complex, I don't have a clue about how these resolutions will work. I mean, what is it going to cost for its implementation? What department will the resolution reside in? Who will see to its implementation? 
Uh, what are its long and short term ramification? Is the resolution cost effective? Who's going to pay for it? How many people does this resolution really help? Uh, will the legislature even vote on this? Uh, will the tribal court agree to its constitutionality? Um, so I figured the thing to do is to educate myself on the entire general, general council process. Now, through the years I've heard many suggestions on how to prove our general council in terms of streamlining and becoming a more effective entity. Oh yeah, I'm old enough to remember the general council agency. You know, it was a darn good idea that was destroyed from within. So, my educational process will begin by interviewing individuals who are actually involved in the planning and execution of our general council. You're probably thinking, boring. We already know how GC works and it doesn't work. And to be honest and redundant, I sincerely don't know. As someone actually sat down and deconstructed our general council, why did the writers of our constitution place this body into the document? How did they see its use? I believe we are the only indigenous nation that has a general council in its constitution. Well, somebody thought it was important. Uh, why is it so ineffective? What changes have to be made so that it becomes a viable branch of our government? Okay, so I guess I have my assignment and I'll be reporting back in a month or so with a few thoughts, little history, some interviews, maybe a solution or two. The General Council is our fourth branch of government. It is a direct voice of the Ho-Chunk people. I sincerely want this to be an effective branch of government. Number two, one of the battles we're having uh, within a nation is the one being fought between the legislature and the president's office. Who has the authority to negotiate with outside entities and create businesses or casinos? Well, under Article 5 of the legislature, Section 2, Subsection I, it says to negotiate and enter into treaties, compacts, contracts, and agreements with other governments, organizations, or individuals. Then, under Article 6 of the Executive, Section 2, Subsection B, it says to make recommendations to the legislatures on matter of interest or benefit to the nation. So my question is this, does the legislature or the president have the authority to negotiate Linwood, Beloit, Hudson? It's confusing because, it's confusing because everything that I have been heard through the Moxon Telegraph leads me to believe that the legislature is negotiating Linwood while the president's office was working on Beloit. Well, my question is this, who has negotiating authority? I've always assumed that the president negotiates treaties and contracts with other governments, individuals, entities, and then brings them to the legislature for approval. But if the legislature can negotiate with other governments and business entities and individuals, why do we need a president? We can just go back to the WWBC and save a lot of money. Which brings me back to the start. In all reality, I'd just be an ignorant, stupid old man who can't see the forest for the trees. But if I'm having trouble understanding our constitution and division of powers, how can we expect our youth to do so intelligently? One of the problems we saw was that we were giving our young, our young people huge amounts of money without any financial training and education. So we decided that all our youth had to be exposed to rudimentary financial education. Okay, we saw a problem, we dealt with it. Now we allow our youth to vote on matters of great import to our nation and they could be completely ignorant of the machinations of our nation.
we're getting 18-year-olds voting on problem on problems that concern our nation that they might not be have any idea whatsoever of what's going on but they have just as much power to vote and to represent as somebody who's 50 years old been in government their whole life and understand the ins and outs well i propose that we institute a ho-chunk nation civics class that must be passed to receive your ho-chunk money Back when I rode a dinosaur to school, to graduate from 8th grade to high school, you had to pass a civics class, which taught you the basics of our state and federal governments. And then we had to take another civics class in high school to graduate. We, the Ho-Chunk Nation, are a sovereign nation. Perhaps our Constitution isn't as, as important as other things our children should be taught, but running and voting and running for public office is a right that every member of our nation can engage in. But you can't do it ignorantly. All of us should not be ignorant of this document, our whole chunk. Um, what am I looking at? Constitution. Why was general counsel so important that it was placed in our Constitution? Who has the ultimate authority to negotiate compacts with the state or government? If I'm ignorant of these simple matters, perhaps others are too. Um... Dude, somebody help me out on this. One. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I have on the phone with me Isaiah Funmaker. He's a candidate running for District 1, Seat 3 of the Ho-Chunk Nation Legislature. And uh, he's been kind enough to give me a couple of minutes of his time. Greetings, sir. How you doing tonight? Hey, doing well. How are you? Really, really well. Well, let's just uh, jump right into this. Um, you just want to introduce yourself real quick and then uh, give us a little background on yourself and your family. It'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my name is Isaiah Funmaker. Uh, my father is Harrison, son of Robert Sr. And Stella Blowsnake. My mother is... Tamara Perry of the Grovant and Assiniboine tribes from Fort Belknap, Montana. Um, father of three, ages 12, 13, and 14. I'm a land specialist for the Ho-Chunk Nation DNR, temporarily reassigned to the Department of Health COVID response team. I'm also a wildland firefighter with the designator of incident commander. Um, also serving my second term on the Jackson County Board of Supervisors. Well, that's quite a healthy resume. Well, then uh, let me get my second question. And um, what made you want to run for Ho Chunk Nation office? Uh, for me, it was it was a natural progression. Uh, I've dedicated a lot of who I am to serve and to continue my service by being the voice of the people. There's a slogan out there that really resonated with me, and that's to be the change that you want to see which uh, inspired me to step up and go for this leadership position. Well, that kind of answers my next question of why I wanted to vote for you. So uh, we'll just jump to the next one. Um, can you expand on one or two of your ideas or uh, your goals in the nation? Yeah, um, my first goal is I would like to see, you know, compromise and progress between the legislative and executive branches. I think we need to heal as a people in order to heal as a nation. 
recognizing and acknowledging that there's something wrong from there we can start to forgive and to have growth the growth that's needed in order to change um another goal goal uh on the you know diversification side of the house uh saying yes to linwood and saying yes to beloit i would like to see us outsource these projects because as everybody knows we have a lot of irons in the fire and looking to outside investors and companies in order to run the casinos while we focus on what's going on here at home. Yeah, those are pretty good ideas. Um, what uh, what would you say your strengths are for your uh, candidacy? Uh, I, one of my strengths I draw on from being an incident commander, having developed critical thinking and effective communication in like a high consequence environment. Uh, then having the experience and serving on the Jackson County Board, having been able to, you know, use these the skill sets going to interface on the political side of the house, and just really any you know time in the saddle that I've been able to have that way. That's good. Um, what motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? What uh, what gets you going here? Uh, I would say. There's this slogan, another slogan. I'm throwing a bunch of slogans out there. I love them. Uh, bumper stickers, love those as well. Uh, but <laughs> I like to live life aggressively. And by that, I mean, you know, taking initiative in order to be better than I was yesterday. That's it good. pretty much boils down to. And, um, you know, having the ability to make the world a little bit better than how I found it. Excellent. Excellent. Um what are three positive things that you, uh, your employer, one of your employers would say about you? Uh, that I am awesome at keeping a high morale, uh, uh, ensuring team cohesion for sure, and you know having the ability to work well under pressure while staying on task to see everything through. That's excellent. Um, just want to keep this short and sweet uh, today. So is there uh, anything you'd like to add before we uh, conclude? I just want to thank you for uh, asking me to be a part of this and opening up the dialogue, um, reaching out to people. You know, feel free to send me a message or and be on Facebook. But yeah, I really appreciate this. Let me uh, throw one other question in there that I uh, forgot to ask. But um, with the COVID out there, um, how do you intend to um, campaign? Are you going to be using a lot more um, social media? Um, how do you see it? Yeah, social media, you know, every every candidate uh, had to go ahead and get signatures from at least 10 people. And, you know, everybody that I had, you know, had face-to-face with, we definitely followed the guidelines. But there's that's no awesome way to go about campaigning. So anything uh, I will be setting up, you know, like a Facebook live sesh, uh, hopefully get somebody to, you know, one of the other candidates to go in with me some cooperation to you know have a debate possibly but uh i don't know it, it's all out there and definitely you know hopefully lock it up that way all righty then uh thank you for your time and uh good luck sir uh isaiah hey, Fundmaker. thank you so much yeah yeah legislative candidate for district one c3 of the ho-chunk nation legislature and remember everyone Vet your candidates thoroughly and get out there and mail in those ballots.
Well, that ends another uh, week of the Chipotle K. I'd like to thank everyone for spending a couple of minutes with me. Uh, just a reminder, everyone. All the thoughts and ideas spouting from my mouth are simply my thoughts and my ideas. Uh, they got no direct bearing on your life. Uh, you have the same options and abilities to share your thoughts and ideas on this same vehicle or any other. And I encourage all Ho-Chunks to get out there and begin to do so. Uh, remember to vet your candidates thoroughly and vote. And from what I hear, all the uh, mail, I mean, all the ballots are coming out. So, Jigay, Honey Chuck Jay, Honey Chuck Jay.